it said that he was my father. And that was the weirdest thing to see a stranger's name listed as your father. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NP is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode eight. Today I am talking to Alicia. Hi, Alicia. Hey. Thank you very much for doing this today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I am really looking forward to talking to you. We have been emailing all week, and I should just go ahead and put this out there now. If anyone else is interested, in contacting NPE Stories, please email npestories at gmail.com. I will put that email address again at the end of the podcast as well. But I read some of your story and I just, I wanted to talk with you and I said, let's just go ahead and record this. Mm -hmm. Yes. So let's find out more about you. Tell me what it was like from the beginning. Yeah, so I do think it's very important to start with the childhood because um, that does kind of give you like the background. Um, my childhood, it, it definitely had a lot of sadness in it. Um, it. I wouldn't say it was the worst childhood by any means because my mother's childhood was far worse than my own, but um, it was still you know very sad because it started off with... I always knew that my dad had gotten my mom pregnant and that the my birth was basically like a secret for the first three months of my life. Uh, my mother was encouraged by her mom to abort me because she uh, did not like my father and basically believed that if my mom kept the baby, she would never, you know, see her daughter again because my dad would rescue her from her horrible life kind of thing. And so my mom, thankfully, you know, she never considered an abortion for me. Um, she always wanted a baby. Um, it just wasn't necessarily the right timing. Uh, but I was born and the first three months of my life, I lived with my maternal grandmother and my mom, my father, that I was raised with. He lived with his mother at the time as well. And my paternal grandmother would hear a lot of arguing going on. And then one day she went to her son and said, Hey, what, what's going on? You know, like, who are you arguing with? And, you know, can we help you? Like what's happening, you know? And my dad broke down and basically said to her, well, I have a girlfriend and I have a daughter and they're getting kicked out of their place right now. And I don't know what to do and I don't know how to help them. And my grandma, upon hearing this, was like, well, you have a daughter, you know, well, you can't just let her live on the street. You have to go pick her up and bring her here, let her live here, and I'll help you guys out. And so my my dad w picked us up from, like, literally all of our stuff was, like, thrown out on the front yard of my maternal grandmother's house. 
Um, and my dad picked this up and took us to live with my, um, my paternal grandmother. And then my paternal grandmother was like, you know, so happy. She's like, I have a, my first grandchild. It's a girl, you know, she had five boys. So she was really excited that I was a girl and she encouraged my dad to do what she believed was the right thing. And, you know, marry my mom. So when I was four months old, they took me to Las Vegas. I grew up in California, so Vegas wasn't very far. And, um, I went with them and they got married in a chapel and, you know, became married. And then my middle brother was born 15 months later. And, um, you know, my grandma basically helped my parents buy a mobile home. We grew up on a farm. And so she, you know, helped them get a mobile home and was like, okay, you know, start off small. And then eventually you guys will buy a house and have a happy family. Uh, the first seven years of my life, I lived in this mobile home with my 15 month old younger brother, 15 months younger brother. And um, it was very sad because my mom was not a nurturing woman. She would sit on the couch and watch soap operas, and we would basically have to entertain ourselves. And so the only happy memories that I have are when I got to go to my grandma's house because she was amazing. She loved us. Um, she would read us bedtime stories, buy us books, just really foster our minds as kids. And so I remember just enjoying her so much. And one day... My mom came to pick us up from grandma's house and I was like, no, mom, you know, I'm having too much fun. You know, I don't want to go home. I just want to have fun, you know, simple kid things. And my mom, like she got so angry that she grabbed me by my hair and drug me across the gravel and put me in her van and then proceeded to yell at my grandmother and say, you know, I want you to stop brainwashing my children against me. You're evil and I hate you and you'll never see your grandkids again. And so in punishing my grandmother, she also punished my brother and I because we basically lived in a mobile home with no entertainment, no attention, and were told by her. And then she would try to get my father to go in on, on it with her as well, that grandma wasn't good and that we needed to love her and all this stuff. So it was a lot of like neglect and kind of emotional abuse. And I remember like being five years old and like looking at the clock and counting how long is it going to take to turn 18? Cause I can't, you know, live in this environment much longer. And I also, ironically, my mom would take me to church, you know, which, so she did some things, right. Um, she would take us to church. So I knew about God. And so I would pray to God and say, God, please let me live with my grandma. You know, she's amazing. I don't like where my, where I'm at and mom's mean and she's, she's not safe. She's scary. And I want to be with my grandma. And so I was a very, um, full of anxious nerves kind of kid. And I got acid reflux and I threw up a lot. And when I would throw my food up, um, my parents would yell at me thinking I was doing it on purpose. And eventually they took me to a doctor and the doctor said that I was not making it up and that I had acid reflux and that it was so bad that I had to also get my tonsils and adenoids removed. And this ended up turning into an answer to prayer because uh, I had a very perceptive doctor who saw how I felt around my parents. And he said to me, Alicia, you're going to have to spend two weeks outside of school and healing after your tonsil surgery. Where would you like to be? Like, where would you be happiest? And I told him, I said, well, can I live with my grandma? Because that's where I'd be happiest. And he said, yeah, you can definitely do that. So somehow or other, I, um, 
ended up living with my grandma for two weeks. My middle brother, he was still with my parents, but he would come visit and he would just tell my grandma, I miss Alicia. I can't be in this house any longer. It's just too hard to listen to mom and dad fight all the time. And I just want um, to be able to live with you too. And long story short, from that moment on, um, my brother and I lived with my grandma until we turned 18. And then I had a youngest brother um, who's 11 years younger. He was born and he did not live with my grandma and, I, and my brother and, and I. And so like our child is just kind of weird, but um, he grew up with my parents and stayed with them in that mobile home. And he's, he's, you know, kind of never really left home. And I, as soon as I turned 18, I moved across the country. I left California moved to Virginia, went to college. Um, I got counseling and, you know, I came to a place of healing from my childhood pain and I was able to go back home, visit my family in short doses where it always was still a positive experience. And I had grown to what I thought was a level of forgiveness and loving and understanding. Um, so that's kind of where I was. And then this year, you know, the NPE stuff came up. <laughs> So okay, so yeah. this is the year you found out. And before I get into it, let me just say um, thank you for sharing your childhood. Wow, mm -hmm. that's yeah. Uh, it sounds it sounds terrible. The emotional abuse, especially when you told when you were saying how you were pulled across the gravel. Oh, I just couldn't even imagine a poor little girl. That's so sad. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's like, and all I wanted was just a couple more minutes of grandma's, you know, it's like nothing personal against her, but you know, she could have had that relationship with me if she just spent time with me and connected with me. I'm so grateful you had such a wonderful grandma in your life. Mm -hmm. Me too. Yeah. She's an angel. <laughs> and you sound, um, you sound great by the way, <laughs> for oh. someone talking about your childhood like that. That's, you sound like you've been through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm I like, thankfully now, you know, I'm able to just really feel a lot of gratitude though. And I've gained so much understanding and I honestly feel like in, in a way this NPE thing, um, turned into a blessing in disguise. Um, it was very painful, but it, it ended up helping me reach a deeper level of love and forgiveness for my mom. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. So you, you did find out, mm -hmm. how did you find out? Yeah. So it's kind of a complicated process. Um, so basically I was a school counselor. I was in my fifth year of school counseling back in 2017. And, um, basically I had a coworker was talking to me about ancestry DNA testing. And she knew that I was very fascinated with genealogy. I was literally the family researcher, very close to my dad's side of the family, very interested in what I believe to be where my Portuguese roots. And so she was like, Alicia, this is totally up your alley. Like you need to get an ancestry DNA, te DNA test. And so I was like, okay, sure. And I didn't want to pay a hundred dollars for it, but then not, but a month later, it was November, 2017. And I heard on the radio driving into work that they were having a sale for Thanksgiving. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Like it's like half off or whatever. So I'm going to buy this DNA test. And then, um, it was in January of 2018 that I got the results back and, uh, basically was only interested in looking at the ethnicity at that point. And it, the only weird thing was that I was not Portuguese at all. 
And so I remember, you know, being so sure of who I am and knowing that I have to have Portuguese in me. Like my last name was a Portuguese last name. Like I knew that my great grandparents like grew up in the Azores. So like, I was like, this is a mistake. So I called Ancestry and I said, Hey, I just want you guys to know your Ancestry test is totally not correct. Because I am Portuguese and the lady kind of was like, shocked at my boldness. And she was like, very bland to me. And she's like, I'm sorry, but you're mistaken. Our tests are very accurate. And you are by no means Portuguese at all. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. And so then I started Googling, you know, the Azor Islands. And my mind was put to rest because I realized the Azores are like multi-ethnic. It's not just Portuguese people, but like a lot of sailors stopped there. So I could have been any ethnicity and be from the Azores. So I went to my dad. Um, I said, hey, you know what? Like, we're probably not as Portuguese as we think we are because the Azores are so multi-ethnic. And he was like, yeah, you know, that's kind of crazy, but that makes sense. And so the next year, like 2018, was filled with um, me kind of putting ancestry stuff to the side. And I started a relationship with my now husband. We got engaged. Just a lot happened that year. And then December 2018, the ancestry bug kind of hit me again. And it was totally random. And I think maybe because I was with family again, you know, visiting family, I started thinking about family connections. And I realized that I never explored my mom's side of the family. And I knew that that was probably partly because I never felt very close to my mom. And I just only felt close to my dad's side. And I just, I just didn't care a whole lot until I got older. And then I said, you know what, my mom, like she had a pretty rough childhood. She grew up without a dad and her mother also grew up without a father. So it was something that was just like a generational cycle. And so I decided I want to find out who my mom's dad was. And so I first started by looking at the birth certificate, found the guy's name, found his birth certificate and found that he was born in Mexico. So at this point, I'm like, I know enough about DNA to know that I'm supposed to have 25% of my DNA from my grandparents. I'm looking at my ethnicity and I have 0% Mexican in me. And I'm like, this guy cannot be her dad. This is not accurate. So I went to Ancestry.com where I had like this cute little old guy. He's a, he's a retired engineer guy that was like helping me like do research on my family tree. And I said, hey, my mom's got this situation going on and I don't know what to make of it. And he said, oh, wow. He's like, it sounds like your mom is a non-paternity event. And I'm like, what? What does that mean? (laughs) And he says, oh, well, you know, the person on her birth certificate is probably not her dad. And so he said he recommended that I get my mom DNA tested and recommended that I do somebody on the paternal side as well so I could separate the paternal and maternal matches. So I did that. You know, I was really close to my grandma. So I was like, Grandma, you're the one. I'm going to test your DNA, my paternal grandmother, and then I'm going to test my mom's. And I'm going to learn more about what I got from my grandma that I love so much. And I'm also going to find out probably who my mom's dad was. So that was, um, you know, December 2018 into January 2019. I sent off grandma's test first, and then I sent off my mom's test a day later. And then I flew back to Virginia where I'm a school counselor. And then on February 6th, 2019 at 10 o'clock at night, I'm laying in bed and I get an email that your grandma's, you know, 
your grandma's results are ready. And I'm like, so excited. Okay. I want to see what I got from her. So I pull up her ethnicity. Everything looks good. And like, okay, we've got some things that we could be matched on, but then I pull up her DNA matches and I see that she's got a thousand matches, but my name wasn't listed. And so at this point I'm thinking, well, that's weird. You know, something must be wrong with the settings or whatever. And I was involved with a DNA detectives group because at the time I was planning on helping my mom find her biological father. And so I said, Hey, got a weird question. Um, my grandma's DNA test, paternal grandmother is not showing as a match to me. And I'm not sure why. And some people were like, don't worry about it. She'll show up in a couple of days. Other people said, just call Ancestry. It's probably a settings issue. And then others were giving me the laughing emoji and saying, oh, isn't that funny? Like, she just found out her dad's not her dad. And I'm like, what? Like, that's crazy. Like, I'm literally trying to help my mom find her biological father. And you guys are like saying that I found out that my dad's not my dad. Like that's impossible because I'm the reason my parents got married. You know, like my dad did the right thing, married my mom because he got her pregnant. Right. And so I kind of like, didn't, I felt like something was wrong, but I was thinking it was more like a settings issue. And I remember I like jokingly texted my dad that night and I said, Hey dad, just wanted you to know, like I got grandma's um, results back and I don't show up as a match to her yet. And if I don't show up soon, then mom's going to have some explaining to do. And he texted back and he said, yeah, like she would have some explaining to do. He's like, try to get some sleep. It's late over there and all that. And his response was very short, you know, and I'm like, okay. So of course I did not sleep very well that night. I started looking at more comments and the more I read, the more alarmed I became. And then the next day I went to work like a zombie, so tired, so exhausted, so not sure what to believe. And, um, I also like was not, I was not focused on work at all. Like I was totally on my phone. Like when I wasn't supposed to be, I'm supposed to be a school counselor there to counsel kids. And I'm like, focus on my phone. Um, and I saw that I had a Facebook message from a woman from the DNA detectives group who told me that she believed that I was an NPE. And I'm thinking, no, my mom is the MPE. I'm not the MPE. What are you talking about? And she told me to contact uh, Catherine St. Clair to just confirm it because she was pretty certain that that's what just happened to me. So I reached out to Catherine and Catherine confirmed that I was, and I still didn't believe it. So I called Ancestry again and they told me the same thing. And so at that point, that's when, you know, all the stages of grief just hit me. You know, I, I started feeling like this is not real. I was in that denial phase. And then I think I skipped the anger part because I was so confused by everything. So it went from, you know, denial to concern to like, I don't know if I can trust anybody. Like, did people know about this the whole time and not tell me? So I, the next person I talked to was my paternal grandmother. And then, um, and then I called my mom And at first, my mom was very upset. She was uh, in denial herself. And she told me that she really did believe my dad was my dad and that this test had to be wrong. And she couldn't believe that I was ruining her life. And I had to stop her at that point and say, look, mom, I'm not ruining your life. I did this because I'm trying to help you find your biological father. And now because I was trying to do that, I unknowingly just discovered that I don't know who my own biological father is. And so then that, 
you know, when, when I said it that way to her, she started crying and she actually apologized to me and said that she was very sorry that she repeated the cycle and that she was so sorry that she didn't know who this person was. And I just didn't know if I believed that at first. I kept badgering her. I'm like, mom, I promise you, I'm not going to judge you. Just please just tell me a name and just tell me anything. And she gave me a name and that led me to a false potential father. And there was in my, in my story, like as I'm writing my memoir, there's a couple of guys that I thought were potential fathers, but there was one, and that was the one that she gave me the name to that I really thought was going to be the guy. And I hit my lowest point in mid-March because I went through the expense of buying a girl a test that I thought was potentially a half-sister. And then I also bought my youngest brother a test because I still just wanted to make extremely certain that this wasn't a mistake. And so mid-March came around and the girl that I thought was going to be my half-sister, which would prove that I had a biological father that I knew, you know, that I could know or whatever, came back. We were not a match. And we both were devastated because for six weeks we had been developing a relationship. So that was like another loss. And then my brother's results came in two days later and he was Portuguese. He immediately matched my grandma and he was a half-brother to me. And even though in my head, I already knew that this was real and that my dad wasn't my dad, it just felt like I got punched in the stomach all over again, seeing that. And that's when I felt the anger and I called my dad up and I was so hurt and angry and he didn't understand. He was like, well, why are you so upset? You've already been knowing this. Like, you know, that this is an issue. And I'm like, but I'm the oddball out. Like I'm not Portuguese because I'm not your daughter and I want you so badly to be my dad. And the only family I ever felt close to is not even a biological connection to me. So I felt so much like I didn't know who I was anymore. And it was just, it was really, really hard. And I remember feeling so angry at whoever this biological father was. And I just, I told my dad, I'm going to find this guy and I'm going to knock on his door and be like, hello, this is your long lost daughter, (laughs) you know, and just, just crazy stuff. Um, but anyway, so after that happened, um, I, you know, was pretty upset because, you know, this, this whole thing, you know, just to backtrack to like, I found out February 6th, 2019, and that was 10 days before I was turning 31 years old. And four months before I was going to get married. So like I already had the stress of planning a wedding and everything. And then finding out at 31 or just before turning 31 that your dad's not your dad and everything that you know to be true is not true anymore. It was just way too much to bear. And so I remember praying to God and saying, please, God, just take away my desire to want to have answers and to know this information or please reveal it to me quickly because I can't go on like this much longer. I can't handle the, you know, emotional upheaval of like believing someone's potential sister and then having that ripped from me and seeing my brother, not my brother, like not my full brother and all that. And so, um, that is when somebody in the DNA NPE friends group told me about DNA angels and she's like, Alicia, they're really great. Um, I highly recommend that you reach out to them. They probably could find out who this man is. And uh, I you know, started a case with them. And they were so amazing because within a few days, they were able to figure out 
who my paternal grandparents were, and they were able to say, we know for sure that you are a product of one of their children. And they had five boys. And so at that point, I um, Facebook messaged anyone that I could find on Facebook, like of the, of the children. And um, my potential aunt, who is my aunt, uh, she called me and she said, hey, you know, I'm a Christian like you and I want to help you. I want to help you find out which of my brothers is your dad. And um, I was so thankful. I was like, wow, like I'm, I'm glad that she's responding so, you know, kindly to me and wanting to help me. And um, she's like, so when were you in Kansas? And I'm like, Kansas? Uh, never. <laughs> like, I'm a California girl and I live in Virginia, like never been to the Midwest before in my life. And she was like, oh my gosh. She's like, I know who your dad is then because there's only one of my brothers who's ever been to California. And, um, and that was her brother, Mike. And so she's like, this is crazy because he's been divorced four times and he has no children. And she's like, this is going to just rock his world that he, you know, I'm talking to his daughter. And she was already saying like, I'm talking to his daughter and I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, you know, I've already had enough like heartache and like, you know, things not work out for me. I don't want to jump to conclusions here. Um, but Yeah. Yeah. And so she was like, for certain, like you're, you're his daughter. And she was like looking at my pictures on Facebook saying, you look like us, you've got our nose, like you're, you're definitely one of us. And so she called him and then he, I guess he was one of the guys I'd messaged on Facebook too, unknowing that that was the one, you know, and he looked at my message and responded and said, I need a few days to process this, but there's no doubt in my mind that you're my daughter. And I'm thinking, whoa, don't claim me so fast. You know, <laughs> I was like, how can you be so certain that I'm your daughter? You know, like I, it was just bizarre to me. And yeah, so that was crazy. Um, and then we, we talked, so I gave him the two days and then we talked on the phone for like four hours, our first conversation. Oh wow. and, Yeah, it was crazy. Um, how we, we just like clicked and stuff. And I, and I don't know, it it was just, it was weird. But then at the end of it, I said, you know, I really appreciate you talking to me. And I like that you, you know, think I'm your daughter, but I've been through a lot up to this point and I really need the DNA proof. So would you be willing to take a DNA test for me? Because I need that. And he said, yeah, he's like, I'm going to order it right now. So after that conversation, he ordered the test and there was, you know, you know how it is waiting on DNA test results to come back and, you know, you wanting it like tomorrow. Well, it seemed like forever. Um, but April 3rd is when the test results came back. And I was actually in California for spring break for my wedding dress fitting with my parents. And, uh, the results came back and, you know, uh, he called me at, well, it was 5am or something, California time. And he's in Kansas and he's like calling me really early. And I guess he saw the results before I did. And I'm thinking, Oh, great. I let it go to voicemail. Cause I was scared. And I, I looked at the ancestry.com first before calling him back. Cause I wanted to know what I was going to, you know, be getting into. And it said that he was my father. And that was the weirdest thing to see a stranger's name listed as your father. I can finally focus on getting married in June. I can stop being so obsessed with ancestry stuff. And this is the guy and I found him. 
And so I called him and I said, wow, so it looks like I'm your biological daughter. And he's like, this is the happiest day of my life. And I said, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that this is the happiest day for your life. Um, I said, I don't know how to feel right now, but I'm thankful that I have answers and that's what I prayed for and God answered it for me. And so I was really grateful for that. And then, so that was April. Um, Lots of things happened. You know, I got married in June in California. Um, In the beginning, like I had this idea, oh, I should invite him, you know, to include him. But then it just wasn't the right idea because there was just too much stuff. Life now has turned into a beautiful redemption story because I I'll I do talk about in my memoir finding my mom a counselor her finally getting some healing for things that she went through like she's had sexual abuse and incest in her past you know no father no real love definitely had been looking for love in all the wrong ways and um, I understand now why she couldn't have been the mom that I needed her to be when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I just didn't like her. And I felt like she was evil to keep me from good things. But now I feel sadness, like a deep sadness for her and sorrow for her and a compassion for her that I'm thankful for because it's, it's going to make our relationship better than it's ever been able to be before. And um, so a large part of my book is going to be focusing on the path towards forgiveness and the redemption that God has put in my life with all of this. Because like my biological father, I mean, I found out that during the years of middle school and high school, that he was a meth addict and a meth dealer. And wow, I feel protected that I didn't know him that, you know, I didn't know that because I was such a studious kid. Like I was like a nerd, you know, valedictorian in my high school class. Like if I had known that my biological father even existed and was a drug user and dealer, I imagine that that would have impacted me in a very negative way. And I would have had a lot of anger and hatred towards him. So I firmly believe that I found this all out at just the right time. You know, and it's amazing now because it was in 2007 that he became free from drugs. And so thankfully, I didn't end up meeting a biological father that is a current drug user. And he admitted to me that he'd been running away from God for a very, very long time. And that knowing about me and my presence had caused him to really wake up. And I mean, now he's going to church every Sunday. He recently became baptized and he mailed me a copy of him getting baptized. And he got baptized when we were, my husband and I were on our honeymoon. And um, he said he was told the pastor that morning, I'm not getting baptized today because my biological daughter needs to be here when I get baptized. And the pastor told him, well, we'll see about that. You know, it's, it's going to be in God's timing. And he said, by the end of the sermon, he felt so convicted that he just had to, he's like, I had to go up and give my life over and, you know, get baptized. And so he's like, you're just going to have to watch it on a DVD. <laughs> so yeah, it's been it's been a beautiful journey, but also still lots of, you know, lots of pain, you know, grief is not linear. And, um, even when you think you've gotten to a place of acceptance, there's still going to be things that trigger you or things that take you back to a sad place. Like just yesterday, something that should have been good. Um, I got a letter from my mother's biological father's wife and in the letter, she, 
say that one more time, a letter from your... So um, I got a letter from my mother's biological father's wife. Okay, and got it. So, Because I've solved her MPE case as well. I did that one on my own. Like that one wasn't so hard to figure out. And um, she, you know, I was just completely surprised that she wrote to me, but she called me her granddaughter by marriage and then told me some more details about my biological grandfather that I didn't know. And then it, it's like, it should have been a happy moment, but it was also a sad moment because I grieve for my mom and the loss that she had in never having a dad to protect her. And it just kind of made me think, well, what if my mom had had a dad? Would my childhood have been a little happier because would my mom have been able to be a better mom? And, you know, and then I had to like say, okay, you know, like, let's stop with the what ifs, you know, I'm doing okay now and I'm forgiving my mom and that's what's most important. And I love her and my mom is loved now and she's safe now and that's what's most important. And you, it sounds like, well, I have to say, I love your acceptance towards both your mother and your biological father regarding the compassion you have for your your mother's, I guess her childlike behavior from her own her own abuse that she has suffered mm-hmm. and not to take away from what you've suffered in your childhood, but mm-hmm. that you just have acceptance over this situation and compassion. And here you are trying to help solve her NPE story. Mm-hmm. And then your biological father, you, you say how perhaps it was, it was a positive thing that you didn't have him around when he was using drugs, when he was a meth user, because to you, you were, you know, you were such a, a kid that was so invested in your school and in your, and in your own life. Yeah. I can see how just having kind of acceptance for what has played out for you is, I mean, that's, that, that's a, that's a helpful way to look at it. Right. Cause we can't mm-hmm. change, we can't right. change our story and what's happened. Right. And, you know, in my biological father, he, is invested in me now and he's doing everything that he can to make things right within his power now. And I appreciate that in him. Um, you know, we all make mistakes and this was a big one, but I wouldn't be here either if it didn't happen. So I am thankful for it. So he did not know that you existed. No, did not know. Like he was actually very, like what I found when I met him, well, when I met him through the phone, you know, at first, which was back in, um, like mid March, um, was a man that was very lonely and regretting life, regretting that he never had children. And now I kind of joke with him and say, well, you, you don't know, we might have more out there. Like, and I'm not going to lie to them. If I could have sibling, I'm going to tell them who you are. (laughs) But, um, he gets scared by that. He's like, Oh no, I don't know if I could handle more than one of you, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, so, I mean, you just never know. And he does view me as a blessing in his life and he's, he feels lucky. He says he feels lucky that I was able to be persistent enough to find him and to change his life because he says his life is completely changed because of me. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, it sounds like you've been such a blessing to him. Here he is, had no children and now he's Mm-hmm. He just has this entire new grasp on life now that you've entered his life. Yeah. And he um, he didn't fully understand, you know, all the pain that I'd gone through. And as I've been writing my memoir, I've been, you know, going to him and reading certain parts of it. And he's gotten emotional and he's like, wow, 
I'm thankful that you're writing this memoir because it's helping me understand exactly what you went through. He's like, I'll never fully understand, but the way that you're writing this is helping put me into your mindset and the feelings that you were feeling. And he's like, and I'm so very sorry that you had to go through that. Okay. So you're talking about writing. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about what you're writing and and when you think this will be out? Yeah. So I am writing my memoir and you know, it's funny because when I was 28 years old, I always had this dream of writing a book, but I always said, well, I'm probably not going to write a book because what would I write about? And then when this happened, I really did feel God whisper to me, Alicia, you are meant to write your story. And I want you to share this story um, to the world. And so I decided that I was going to take it on. And I have been blessed with an opportunity to do it. Um, You know, I was a school counselor for six years, but recently became married and moved to a new state. And my husband was with me through this whole journey and saw the deep pain and saw how it affected our relationship. I mean, I withdrew like from everything and everybody and was very depressed and he was scared for me. And he said, you really need to write this to help somebody else because you are a gifted writer and you feel the calling and I want to allow you the opportunity to do that. So right now I've been writing full time and um, I'm at 30,000 words. And so my goal is to have at least a 75,000 word first draft. And I'm, I'm enrolled in a class right now. That's going to help me with the logistics of, you know, how do you get published and how do you create a cover and all that jazz and the formatting. So I'm not exactly sure when it's going to be able to be out because this is my first time doing such a thing, but I have been receiving positive feedback from a lot of people that I've been sharing my writing with. And it encourages me that this is definitely part of my purpose is to write my story out so that my intention is that people who are being rejected by their biological families can maybe send a copy of my book over and say, can you please just read this story? Because this is what I felt when I was going through the journey of trying to find you. And this is what a beautiful ending could look like if you are open to me. Um, And I just want to give people hope that there can be a beautiful ending to something that's so hurtful and messy. And it doesn't have to stay broken. We don't have to stay in hurt and broken places. We can get to a place of love covering it all, forgiveness covering it all, and understanding that everything happened exactly as it should. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm going to be able to give a gift to my future children of a complete family tree and that they are going to always know exactly who their father is there will be no doubts about that because I know what this feels like. And so I want to provide a different life for my children someday if I'm blessed to have children. And I want to be part of ending generational curses. And I would love to help other MPEs um, who are on this roller coaster journey. And I would love to help be a part of raising awareness to how common this is. It's not like this is a unique thing. Um, there's a lot of people in this situation and a lot of people may not even realize or know that they're an MPE and they might not find out for a while, but it's not an abnormal thing, unfortunately. No, it's not. I mean, we're up to probably over 6,000 members in our mm-hmm. DNA NPE Facebook group. And that's just the people that are on a Facebook group. Right, right. 
Yeah. So you can imagine, I firmly believe that if you look back in history enough, you're going to find at least one MPE in almost every family. I mean, because in my own, and part of my memoir is going to go into this more, um, my paternal great-grandfather was an MPE. I've found second cousins that were MPEs along my journey. Unfortunately, I, I it makes me sad to say this, but um, a girl that was a second cousin that was willing to help me in my DNA journey um, found out through me that she was also an MPE. And I hated to tell her that, but it was the truth. And so it seems like these things do run in some families more often than others. It's definitely on both sides of my family. And so I feel like, okay, I've got so many MPEs in my family. I need to, I need to write something. Yes. And you're right that sometimes this does continue in the family. And I like how you talk about breaking this, this cycle, being aware of it and and having a stable life and family for, well, for, for your own family one day as it, as it grows. And congratulations, by the way, what a year, um, you just got married. (laughs) Oh, you got married in, in the midst of all of this. Good for you. I know he's an amazing guy to put up with everything. Cause I definitely, you know, he thought I was crazy sometimes and, and everyone would tell me just stop being so obsessed. And it's like, easy for you to say, easy for you to say. Yeah. Shout out to the significant others and the spouses that listen to us talk about this till mm-hmm. past midnight and are there yes. for us. You know, <laughs> yeah. Every time we open 23andMe or Ancestry or we're obsessed with it over Facebook or messaging mm-hmm. so-and-so new family member, I, I'm right there with you because they're, they're taking this yeah. journey with us really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even now, like I'm investing quite a bit of time in writing this book, but my, my husband, he understands and he's on board with me, but sometimes like, he's like, okay, like we need some me time. Stop thinking about the MPE stuff for a minute, you know, but once this is part of your life, it's always going to be your, it's your new normal and navigating that. And I think that every MPE is a usually pretty empathetic person because we've gone through stuff. There's a lot of sad history leads to NPE situations. And so, um, I, I feel for others who are in the beginning parts of NPE. And that's why I feel like I owe it to them to share about my journey and to give them a resource to give to people so that other people can even start to have like a glimpse of an idea of what we go through. Exactly. I, I have a copy of Danny Shapiro's inheritance sitting yeah. right here on my table and, mm-hmm. and, as soon as you get your book out, you better believe I will be, one, I will be one of your customers, one of your, I will be ordering a copy myself. So yeah. if, if I wanted to follow you or find out more, um, how would I be able to find you? Yeah. So I have actually started an author Facebook page for now. Um, and that's going to be at www.facebook.com slash NPE Alicia. And that's A-L-I-C-I-A. And then I also have an Instagram that's not parent expected and then a Twitter, but Twitter is less frequently updated, but that would be NPE Alicia. And that's again, A-L-I-C-I-A. But I would love to, you know, talk with other NPEs or have people just help support me in this great undertaking because this is going to be my first time doing such a thing. Um, But I feel very called to do it and I'm very determined to see it through And I would just love any support I could get from others who want to encourage me when I feel like giving up on it. (laughs) So yeah, that would be really nice. 
Absolutely. I, I think not only will, be, will your book help other NPEs, but the process of doing something creative around your story is healing in itself, whether it's writing, writing about it, sharing about it, uh, being on a podcast. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's all part of the healing and the therapy just to, to talk about it. And every time we do, it's, you know, it's just a little bit more healing. Absolutely. Yes. Because whatever, whatever you keep secret and hidden only festers and grows. So I'm all about, that's my whole desire is to speak out about this and really let people know it's normal and there's no need for shame. There's no need to feel embarrassed because moms are human. Moms make mistakes. And sometimes that mistake can end up being a beautiful thing, like a life. You know, I mean, I, I may not have been planned by my mother or my biological father, but I feel like I was planned to be here by God. And that, you know, in my own faith, I believe that. And I, I'm thankful for my life and I feel like I'm doing great things with it. And so really, yeah, it hurts, but I have way more to be thankful for than to be upset about. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you so much for sharing today. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Alicia for sharing today. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE that would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. I am searching for more NPEs to share their story, and I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us. Thank you.